If you're new, welcome. We're in the book of Proverbs. Uh, Proverbs gives you a PhD on life. That's what it does. It's brilliant. So last week we started talking about ambition. And we started out that message by talking about how the gospel, it's not opposed to ambition at all. That there's plenty that you can look at in the New Testament that shows you the gospel and hard work, the gospel and diligence, the gospel and ambition are friends. And I had to mention this because what happens is we have these ideas in our heads, this theology, and I call them theological pretzels. And they're based kind of on what we believe, but if you really walk them out, it gets weird. They don't work. So um, an example of this is a quote by a guy. I'll call him a theologian for now. And he says this. You may recognize it. He said, I asked God for a bike, but I know God doesn't work that way. So I stole a bike and asked God for forgiveness because I know he works that way. That's a theological pretzel, right? I'm not sure that God can give me a bike for free, but I know he forgives sins, so I'm just gonna steal a bike and have God forgive me. That's a theological pretzel. And so there's these ideas that you get saved and it's like, you don't do anything then? You just sit around and wait till you die? I mean, what? what? It's weird. There's these weird things. So last week we saw that Jesus, Paul, Timothy, I could have gone on and on. They agree that grace is not opposed to effort. It never is, okay? And you can go back that week if you want to. I don't wanna redo that. But we're in Proverbs now. And a ton of Proverbs talk about our ambitions, talk about diligence and work and all this stuff. So last week we looked at ambition for people that feel like a rocking chair, Lots of motion in their life, but they're not moving anywhere. It's just lots of motion and that's it. And so that's really good to think through. This week, though, we're going to look at a different category of ambition proverbs. And I call them the rocket launch proverbs. Like, okay, I have this desire. I have this ambition. Now, what do I do? How do I see myself move forward? How do I grow? How do I launch? And I'll tell you, if you're going to launch a rocket, put a man in space, that's hard work. Just ask Elon Musk, right? He started his rocket company 18 years ago. Billions of dollars have been poured into that rocket company. And on the 27th of May, finally, he's going to try to put a man in space. That's hard work. What's fascinating is NASA was started in 1958, and by 1961, they had put a man in space, three years, and they get a man in space. They didn't have a Tesla to do it. They didn't have an Apple computer to do it. They didn't have robots to do it. They didn't have artificial intelligence to do it. They had an abacus and a welder, and they put somebody in space. Pretty impressive, okay? Hard work, though. So if you're going to rocket launch, if you're going to try to get what God has for you with your drives and your ambition, how do you do that? How do you see yourself move forward in life? Well, let's look at four things. Number one, 
It's gonna rocket launch. Number one, you gotta build it. You gotta build it. You gotta build your rocket. So Proverbs chapter 12, verse 11 says this. Whoever works his land will have plenty of bread. You gotta build it. And that's gonna take hard work. Whoever works his land, whatever field God has put you in, if you're gonna actually work that field hard, man, you're gonna have plenty. So if you've hung out with me for any time or been around Edgewater for any time or uh, talked to staff, you know I have this saying. I tell it to my kids, I tell it to young people, and it's this, hard isn't bad. Just because something's hard doesn't mean it's bad. Just because there's some hard work involved in something doesn't make that occupation or that job bad. Like hard can be really good. It can be one of those qualities that grow you and stuff, okay? So the way to guard against apathy in life where you just kind of sit around and there's no launch to you, the way to guard against that is to embrace difficulty. So if I had time and I don't, You can just read Proverbs 6, which is Solomon talking to his son and is telling his son, you have a really hard thing to do. And he tells his son this, don't rest, don't put it off, don't wait, make it your first priority to do that hard thing. I love that. That's my philosophy. So every morning I write out a to-do list. It's just a habit I've been in. And I look over my to-do list the very first thing that I choose to do on my to-do list is my hardest task. Because if I get it done, everything's easier from there. Whatever's gonna take the most virtue, the most effort, the most, whatever I don't wanna do, I've made a decision in my life, that's the very first thing I'm going to do. So I just finished this really good book by Angela Duckworth. She's a PhD lady. It's titled Grit. And I thought, well, that's a cool title. So I read this book, Grit, Super good, I'd recommend it. And the whole book is just this. What makes high achievers, people that seem to do really well in life, is it natural talent? Is it ability? Are they geniuses? And she goes to West Point and she goes to Air Force Academy and she goes to Apple. She goes everywhere, looks at the top performers. She found one common denominator between them all. She calls it grit. You could call it hard work. It was people that had this tenacity to work hard. So I was driving my car a week ago or so, and I'm with my 17-year-old Bella. And we're driving and we're talking about this. And I asked her, why is it that when we see really high-achieving people, we want to say, oh, they're a genius. I could never do that. Why do we want to do that? And so we're talking about that and she nailed it. She says, the reason why when we see really high achievers, we wanna say it's talent or it's genius is because then it's an excuse for us that we couldn't do it. Well, I could never be that. I don't have their talent, right? It's an out. I don't have to work hard. I don't have to try that because they have a gift I don't have. They have a talent. I call it the talent myth. So I've seen this formula and I think it's actually right. Here's the formula for success. And it says, number one, you take your talent, you have to have something, plus effort equals your skill. Then you take your skill, plus more effort 
and that equals achievement. What appears twice there? Grit, hard work, Proverbs 12, 11, whoever works his land will have plenty. Hard work. So in the New Testament, you have this guy named the Apostle Paul, high achiever, very high achiever. And we can say he's talented, and he probably was, and he's a genius, and he may have been. But here's Paul's own evaluation of himself. It's in 1 Corinthians, where he has to actually argue with the people in Corinth who were kind of putting him down, that he was legitimate. And he says this, it's 1 Corinthians 15, verse 10. He said, I work harder than them all. Those other apostles, yeah, they may have worked hard. I outworked them. I outworked them. I had grit. You wanna go far in life? Proverbs says, number one, you wanna rocket launch your life? You gotta build it. Whatever field God has put you in, I don't care what it is. If you're gonna say, that's the field God has me in, this is it, I'm gonna work this field hard, you'll have plenty. So number one, build it. Number two, you have to aim it. So here's Proverbs 10, verse four. And it says this, lazy hands make a man poor, but diligent hands bring wealth. Lazy hands, that word lazy there, very cool word in the Hebrew. It comes from a bow and an arrow. That lazy actually means slack. So it's somebody who has strung up their bow, but they haven't made that string tight. The, the, the string is a little bit slack. It's, it doesn't quite have the tautness to it that it needs. So here's a guy that looks like he's doing all the right things. He's got the bow, he's got the arrows, he's got a string, but the string isn't tight. He's shooting them. It looks like he's busy. It looks like he's industrious. It looks like he's after it, but he's not hitting anything. And his arrows aren't flying very good because it's slack. So what Proverbs often does is this. It sets two things against each other. So the slack hand, the guy that didn't rig his bow up right, he's going to be poor because he didn't think it through. Diligence then is the opposite of that. It's the person that stood back and said, you know what? The first step I need to do right now is to make sure that my bow string is really tight, right? So I'm going to evaluate my aim. I'm going to evaluate what I'm doing first before I set about and start doing something. I'm going to aim it. So let me add to that one other proverb. This is Proverbs 24, 27. And it says this, prepare your work outside. Get everything ready for yourself in the field. And after that, build your house. Here's what that proverb is saying. You got to take those together. Aim or diligence has order to it. That, that if you're going to really aim well, if you're going to do life well, then you, you got to have some order to it, right? People can seem like they're active and doing stuff, but they're just, they're never hitting their target. They're poor. They run out of their money. So what Proverbs 24, 27 is, says is this, get your field going first. Get your bowstring tight first. Then build your house. Then take the next step, right? Get the place of business. Get the place of finances. Get those things 
hitting on all eight cylinders. Then worry about your remodel. Then worry about that. Get systems in place. If you say, man, I do a lot of work around my house or I do a lot of work at business, but I'm not accomplishing anything. Then what Proverbs would say is take a step back. Evaluate your string. Is it tight enough? Do you have systems in place? If you're doing the same thing over and over and over and over and over and over again, maybe what you need is a system that makes that more efficient. Is your string tight? Because you can shoot a lot of arrows and never hit the target. So step back, evaluate yourself. When it comes to life, man, make the place of business, the goose that's laying the golden egg, make sure that's taken care of first, then worry about your own house, your own comfort, your own things. That's what Proverbs 24, 27 says. How counterculture is that to us? Like do all the hard stuff, get your field ready, and then build your dream house. We don't do that anymore, do we? Everybody wants their dream house right now because we have access to something today that for most of civilization and most of America, hist- America's history, they didn't have access to. We can get money. Banks will loan to us, right? The government will, whatever, they'll give whatever the bank loans, the uh, government approved loans are, right? There's all this access to wealth. Credit card applications come in the mail. So we can do things out of order, Instead of getting the field prepared, instead of getting all that stuff right, we can go move into the mansion. And it's backwards. And when there's an economic downturn, you start evaluating like, whoa, what did I do? Why did I put all this money into a 20-car heated shop? Maybe I didn't need that. Maybe I didn't need 5,000 square feet. Oh, no, this isn't working out right. Maybe I should have put all my money into my hobbies. Maybe I should have put it into the business or into new equipment or something. That's what Proverbs is saying. It's super, super wise. Super wise, okay? So there's a guy. His name is Warren Buffett. If you haven't heard of him, you should Google him. Uh, Just a simple man who is now worth $68.1 billion. Unbelievable. He is the epitome of Proverbs 24, 27. Get your field straight before you worry about your house, before you worry about your comfort. So Warren Buffett, every morning, goes to McDonald's, has the same meal. It costs him $3.17. He's worth $68.1 billion. He eats McDonald's for $3.17. He lives in the same house he bought in the 1950s. He drives like a 1996 Dodge Neon or something. You can't even believe what he did. You're like, what are you doing driving a Dodge Neon, bro? Because he's like, I want my field to be good before I ever worry about my comfort. So he had this conversation with his pilot one time. And his pilot was like, dude, what's your, what's your, what's, how do I succeed like you've succeeded? And this is what Warren Buffett told him. He said, sit down sometime. Take a long time for this. Get a sheet of paper. Write on that sheet of paper your top 25 things you want to accomplish in your life. One, two, three, all the way down to 25. Look at your list. Circle the top five things. Cross off the next 20. Don't do any of those 20 until you have your top five done. What is he saying? Proverbs 24, 27. Get your field ready. Get those priorities straight first. 
Then worry about your own comfort. Then worry about your own ease. Don't do that until the field is producing, right? You gotta have the right kind of aim. So listen to what the Apostle Paul says, because I think he and Warren Buffett would be like best friends, BFFs. Listen to this. It's one of my favorite texts in the Bible. So it's 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24. Do you not know that in a race, all the runners run, but one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it, right? There's whatever, 5,000 people that run the Boston Marathon. There's one, one winner. Paul says, if you're gonna run the marathon, be in it to win it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I check my bow. I check my field. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control. Paul knew about aim. He knew this one. Take care of these things first. Make sure that they go. So if you're gonna rocket launch, number one, you gotta build it. It takes hard work. Number two, you gotta aim it. What's your aim in life? What's the desires God's have, God has put in your heart? What are the deep ones? Not your own comfort or your own whatever, but what's the field God has you in? And work that field. And number three, you gotta fuel it. You gotta fill that rocket ship up with fuel. And there are so many on this. This one is, I'm gonna say, 10, 15% of Proverbs is about fueling. So listen, just a sampling. Proverbs 3.21. My son, do not lose sight of these. Keep sound wisdom and discretion. Then you will walk on your way securely and your foot will not stumble, right? Keep wisdom. Proverbs 7, 2 and 3. Keep my teachings as the apple of your eye. Bind them on your fingers. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Then Proverbs 23, 23. I call this the Michael Jordan verse because 23 is his number. Buy truth, do not sell it. Buy wisdom and instruction and understanding. If you're gonna invest in something, invest in some good fuel, okay? So these Proverbs, if you took them all together, says there's a vigilance to life. That you and I, no matter your age, whether you're a new infant or an 80-year-old man, you should be a lifelong learner. That we should be constantly saying, I wanna buy wisdom. I wanna buy instruction. I want to learn. Like there's this massive world that God has given to us. Why wouldn't I wanna learn more about it? Be a lifelong learner. Some people, experts, they have 20 years of experience from life. Other people, they have one year of experience that they've repeated 20 times and they're not growing, and they're not going anywhere. And here's what they found about what happens in the mind when you start something. When you start a new kind of endeavor and you're learning about it, it's the novelty. It's interesting, it's fascinating, and so you're all into it. But after one year, 
the new car smell wears off. And at that point, the majority of people make a mistake. They stop buying wisdom. They stop learning about it. They stop growing. But what they found is experts in any field, I don't care what it is, experts in baking, experts in cooking food, experts in welding or mechanics or engineering or authors or runners. It's not novelty, it's nuances. It's depth. That's what grabs their attention. And they're the ones that become experts. They never stop. Proverbs 23, 23, buying wisdom, buying instruction. It's why if you ever watch the Olympics, and there's like the ice skaters or the gymnasts or the divers, right? We look and we're like, man, that was awesome. But the experts are like, well, actually on that triple Lutz, she was a little bit wide and she didn't land on her toe. You're like, wow, I would have never seen that because it's nuance. Or divers, like the only way I can judge if a diver did well or not is how big was the splash? Big splash, bad dive, little splash, good dive. But the experts are like, no, he was a little bit, you know, they, they know nuance because they're experts. So what Proverbs says is this, you and I should be lifelong learners, that we got to guard our hearts against new car smell, that we should always be saying, God, you've given us this beautiful world and and all this wisdom in it, and I want to learn. Because if you don't, man, complacency begins to set in. So here's what happened to me. Um, This is back to 2012, eight years ago. So Um, when I thought about planting a church, my dream, this is before Edgewater, my dream was, Lord, if we had a church that was 250 people, I would be the happiest man on earth. I could go to their football games and go to their baseball games and and know them by name. And man, it'd be awesome. That'd be so cool, right? So when Edgewater's getting launched, Mark Scudstad and I are having a conversation and we're trying to figure out how many seats to set up. And I'm like, well, let's set up 50 chairs. And he's like, we're gonna need more than 50 chairs. I'm like, I don't think so, man. If we fill 50 chairs, I will be so stoked, Mark. He's like, no, I'm pretty sure we need more. So he won. Well, we, we filled about 10 times that amount, right? So just, whoa, are you kidding? And so by 2012, I'm seven years into it, hitting a rhythm, right? Teaching, feeling good about where I was at. Staff is awesome, and I begin to feel complacency. Like this kind of like, I'm good, man. I can do this for the next 20 years, no problem. One year of experience, repeated 20 times if I wanted. And it scared me. So guess what I did? I said, I gotta go back to school. So as a 40-year-old, I went back to seminary because I wanted to say, by wisdom, by understanding, I've read this, I know this, I need to do that. So I'm in school with 22-year-old, 23-year-old, 24-year-old kids, I could just about be their dad, right? So I'm there like, I'm the, always the old guy. And they'd be like, so at lunch, they'd be like, so um, what's your story, man? What are you doing? I'd be like, well, pastor. And most of them wanted my job. Like they wanted to graduate from seminary, maybe get a job as a youth pastor and kind of work their way up to senior pastor. So they wanted my job. So they'd be like, oh, wow, you're a senior pastor? And then the next question was always the same. So how big's your church? Well, there's another thing about ambition you gotta be careful of. Ambition can take you over. You gotta stay humble. So I had an answer because the average church size is 70 people. We're a little bit bigger than that. So I'd always, this is my canned answer. I'd say, well, here's the deal. We planted in 2005 
And at that point, we still met at an elementary school. So I'd say that. We planted in 2005, and we're still meeting in an elementary school. And to a T, every one of them would say this, oh, bro, that's tough. Man, let me pray for you. I'll tell you, there was something in me that was like, you don't need to pray for me. I am successful. (laughs) But I couldn't do it. It's like, stay humble, stay humble. I'd be like, thank you. Please do pray for me. I appreciate that. I felt it though. I felt in my own heart, the the apathy that can set in. Hey, I've arrived. I don't need to do this. I'm good. No, no way. I want to be humble and I want to be hungry, right? And for me now, I've been studying the Bible since 1996, pretty diligently. And now the nuances of scripture are so fascinating to me how they ripple through the canon, how they affect the way the big story, the meta-narrative is, they're amazing to me. It's that Proverbs 1, the dark sayings. Oh, wow. Yeah. You want a rocket launch? Fuel. Fuel. You're buying wisdom. You're doing Michael Jordan verse. Proverbs 23, 23. Buy it, buy it. Lifelong learning. Incredible world God has given to us. Okay, and then step four. And this is probably the most important one. You have to fire it. If you're gonna rocket launch, you gotta build it, first of all. You gotta aim it, you gotta fuel it. Then you gotta fire it. And this is the opposite of what you think. You gotta look at your rocket ship of ambition and you gotta say to that rocket ship of ambition, you're fired. Here's what I mean. No rocket ship of ambition on this earth can carry everything that you want. It does not have enough. Your capacity as an image bearer is too great for any ambition on earth to carry, okay? So here's the Proverbs for this. And this is a great one. Proverbs 30, verse eight. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Notice the balance. Feed me with the food that's needful for me, not my wants, Needful for me, lest I be full and deny you saying, who is Yahweh? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of God. Did you catch that balance? That's balancing ambition. So New Testament, Paul gives something very similar to this. This is Paul in Philippians chapter four, verse 12. He says, I know how to be brought low And I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hungry, abundance and need. And here's his answer. I can do all things, ambition, he's got ambition. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Lastly, you gotta fire that rocket. Here's the human dilemma. The human dilemma is we have these God-given desires in us and ambition is not bad. 1 Timothy 3, 1. If you have the ambition to be an overseer, it's a good thing, right? But you have to guard it because ambition on its own will destroy you, right? So work, is hard work good or bad? Yes, right? Lamentations 3, 27. It's good for a young man to work hard. But can work get out of control? Sure, we have these people, we call them workaholics, where they get their identity and they get everything from work. That's bad then. 
Same thing, work, good or bad. Is family good or bad? Yes, right? Are we still on? Okay, <laughs> did you see that? Is that my head? Is that the metal plate from Nam in my head going off? Um, so family, good or bad? Man, it's great to have a great family, but there are people that put all this weight on family to make them happy and they live vicariously through their kids and you better show them, man. I'm gonna show all my high school buddies how good I was through my son and this is pressure on their kids that crush them and family becomes bad. Money, is money good or bad? Yeah, right? Same thing. It's the love of money that becomes the root of all kinds of evil, okay? So that's the thing. But they're very careful. So the point on Proverbs is this. The point on Proverbs is, okay, talking about ambition through money because a lot of times people's ambition ends in money. So this guy, Proverbs 30, he says this. Okay, money in its right place is good. It puts food on my table. It pays the rent or pays the mortgage. I may it'll be generous with it, cool. But money in the wrong place in God's spot, replaces him. And I don't have to even trust in God anymore. I don't have to pray to God anymore. I don't have to pray the Lord's Prayer, give me this day daily bread because I've got enough money in the bank. It plants God, right? That's why on our money, a wise person one time printed on our money, guess what's saying? In God we trust. Remember, this little piece of paper, it can be good or bad, And if you put your trust in it, if it becomes your rocket ship, it will destroy you. So in conclusion to this idea of ambition, you have to know this, it'll never be enough. You can get everything your heart wants, every ambition, dot every I, cross every T, and you'll still be unhappy. You have to guard against the promised lie of ambition. So here's a verse for you. It's, Proverbs, it's Psalms 106.15, one of my favorites. And the King James Version, I love the way it puts it. King Jimmy says this. And he gave them their requests, but sent leanness into their soul. I think sometimes God gives you everything you want so that you realize it's not enough. Your capacity as an image bearer is too great for anything finite on this earth to satisfy. And here's a really sad statistic. Famous people are four times more likely to commit suicide than you or me. You know why? Because they got everything they want and they found it wasn't enough. They had a lean soul. They did not live happily ever after. Instead, what they found was their capacity just grew. The more they got, the more they wanted. The more they wanted, the more they got. It just kept going and going and going until finally they said, I can't run this treadmill anymore, I'm out. There's a book called Stumbling on Happiness by a Harvard professor, Professor Gilbert. And I'll never forget this this analogy he makes. On this study, they studied people that won the lottery, right? Got everything they wanted, they thought. And then people that had been in an automobile accident and become a paraplegic. And they studied them to find out how happy they were. Well, people that won the lottery had this massive boost in happiness in the beginning. The people that were in an accident and became paraplegics had a massive drop in the beginning. After one year, they'd come back together 
And as they continued to follow them, the lottery winners went down and the paraplegics went up. Why? Because the lottery, even though you think, if I had a million dollars, I'd be happy. No, you won't. You'd want $2 million and $10 million and $30 million. It'll never be enough. That's why. But I'd sure like to prove Professor Gilbert wrong. So would I. But you won't prove him wrong, right? So this is what this proverb is saying. It's saying, you have to balance this or else we'll end up like Henry Thoreau said. Most people live quiet lives of desperation, always looking for the next thing. Instead of enjoying the moment and the present that God has given to us right now, our ambition drives us to more, 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 workaholic, more money, more this, more achievement. Instead of sitting and saying, wait a second, wait a second, I'm just gonna enjoy what God has given to me. You can't because ambition drives you, drives you. So Forrest Gump has the famous saying, life is like a box of chocolates. I have a saying based on that, and it's life is like a bunch of celery. The more you eat, the hungrier you become because it takes more calories to digest celery than you get out of it. So here's the solution to it. Here's, here's the only way you can live correctly. You have to know, Jesus gives you the abundance, the full heart, that your cup runs over the life that you actually want that allows you to enjoy all the other gifts. But you, if you don't have Jesus, you'll never even enjoy the gifts. You'll keep trying to strangle them for something they can never give you. Your marriage gets strangled because you expect your spouse to make you perfectly happy. And she can't, he can't do that. But if you have Jesus, then you just get to enjoy her and you walk together and you grow together and you love together and it gets better and richer and brighter and more incredible right? You got to fire that rocket. And when you do, here's what happens. Your ambitions are in the right spot and you get brought before kings. Proverbs 18 verse 16 says, the guy that uses his gifts right gets brought before kings. When you become the expert in your field, stewarding that ambition correctly, biblically, man, doors open that you could never imagine. How are you stewarding your ambitions? I hope well. I hope we're doing Proverbs 3. that says, trust not in your own understanding, lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge him, right? Knowing that he's the one that has the path, that knows what you need most. Doing that, right? Leaning not on, hey, Matt and Heavenly knows how to figure this thing out. And when you do that, he'll direct your paths and you'll end up in green pastures and still waters. That's what we want for ourselves. The thing that really makes the heart sing is this. It's the good news. That because of the work of Jesus, you are now a son, a daughter of King Jesus. You become part of his family and he'll never give you up. He has a hold of you. And then everything else is enjoyable. The motorcycles, the gifts, the toys, the accomplishments, they're all enjoyable because you're saying, that doesn't give me life. Jesus already gave me life. He gave me the best. This is just the rest. And life works well there. So a way to do that and to remind yourself of that is communion. We come and we partake saying, Jesus, you alone give life. And so today I'm coming to you, the giver of life. And I'm holding everything that you've given to me with an open hand, knowing they're gifts from you. And if I have them, I'll enjoy them. And if I don't, I still have you. 
Man, I'm telling you, that is the wisest way to live life. You triumph. You blast out of the gravity of this world. You live on a rocket. You gotta fire that rocket. So if you have communion, grab it. I'm gonna grab mine and we'll take it together. Jesus, today, I thank you for this beautiful world that you've created with, as Genesis 2 says, gold and bdellium and rivers and trees and you've put so much potential in this world that we get to apply our ambition to and unpack and mine and design and use. But in the midst of that, may we take Proverbs 30 to heart. May we never forget that you're the giver of all these gifts. May we this day kick off the throne anything that's taken your place, that you're the author and the finisher of our faith that you're the one that brings life and it more abundantly, that it's you. And this, Jesus, you called this the bread of life, your body. And so may we eat today of the bread of life. It comes directly from you. May we reconnect to you if we've been disconnected. May we confess ambitions and passions that have supplanted you so that you take your rightful place in our life as King and Lord. And may you feed our souls so that we're not lean today. Let's eat together. And we drink of the cup. cup that you said you would not drink of this again until that day that celebration day when you our king return and rightful rule reigns across the earth and everything that's evil and wicked is rolled up and cast into a lake of fire oh happy day that will be may we place our hope on that not on our ambitions, not on what we can get. May we place our hope on you, the King, and your return where things are set right and what's old is made new and what's wrong is made right. We have set our hope on that. So we drink hope in you. Let's drink together. So go with us, Jesus. Wherever we go, wherever ambition is taking us, would you be with us, shepherding those things, guiding us, I pray. And I ask this in your name. Amen. Amen. God bless you guys.